Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. We're here to give you the fragments of information that we have welded together into a product we can now call news. Michael, how have you been? I'm, admir- I'm ad- sitting here in admiration. You've got the gall to call what we've been doing for the last three hours news, but anyway. It is, by the way, uh, the 7th of the 10th, a glorious Wednesday. Although all the days are starting to meld together as restrictions come and go like the waves. I don't even know what I should or shouldn't be doing anymore. Uh, no, it's it's useful. The, the newspapers now provide these useful little charts which tell you, you know, if you're phase one, phase two, phase two. The problem is that sometimes if you're in phase three and sometimes you're in phase three and a half. All right, and then you're like, is this like phase three Dublin or phase three Donegal? Like, what's happening with the pubs? Yeah, I, I, I still don't... I, I think the pubs are open. I think the wet pubs are closed. And the pubs that could do food are open. I, I don't know anymore, to be honest. It's all just starting to meld together, and I don't really know what's happening. Anyway, so, we've got a couple of things to run through today. Firstly, I'm in the Garthi, uh Fear, Michael. Far-right violence. Oh, my goodness. But I want to... This is reported in The Examiner. I want to talk a little bit about the type of violence they fear and also some of the terminology used by them. The Irish Heart Foundation has put in their pre-budget submission. It is a uh, doozy. It's a document I would playfully describe as wackadoodle. Okay. <laughs> mostly because I never have the uh, need to use that word. It's a, it's a... You know, like, Michael, when someone really wants you to do something and something happens doesn't really matter what and they'll use that as an excuse for you to do the thing they want to do and it gets weird after a while yeah it's a bit like climate change uh, at, at different times you know when when you want politicians want to really want to do something very often they'll just throw well it's all about if we do this it's, it's good for climate change you can't work out quite why it's good for climate change but you know that's a good thing so you should probably be in favor of it and, and we are at the moment living through a, a shall we say a, an alternative form of climate change, and which is so, if you can connect it to the old COVID, then why not roll it in there? But before Michael, before we go to either of those, I think we need to talk about an act of uh, wanton and hateful bigotry. What's that in Cork, Michael? Go on. Councillors in West Cork have decided to show their contempt for the LGBT community by painting a crossroads. Which people must walk upon, Michael, uh, in the rainbow colours, so that people may tread upon the cause of the LGBT plus Q. Sorry, reverse that. You get whatever. It's an eighth of the fucking alphabet. LGBTQIA plus is the last one that I'm aware of that's in use. Although Gary, as you know, there are nasty phobic, hateful people out there now who are going around being LGB. There is. In fact, there's the LGB Alliance. I did an interview with uh, one of the founders of it. I'm told they're opening an Irish branch, Michael. They are. They are opening an Irish branch. And do you know know what's really sickening about them, Gary? If you listen to that interview that you did with that person, it's the, the way they do this really reasonable, calm, logical non-hateful, non-aggressive, not attacking, not personalised way of talking. 
you know that's just not right that's that's just so deceitful by going around looking like they're reasonable decent calm engaged people who just want to try and make a reasonable point about science and protecting children you know they they hide their horrible hateful agenda on underneath that and that's really you know that's how they start and then you know you get you get lulled into a sense of security and you wake up in a bathtub full of ice without your genitals yep or is that sorry that that's organ traders, not lesbians. Sorry. Or kidneys. Is it kidneys? Maybe it's kidneys. I can't. It's, it's one of those anyway. So you have to be on your watch. If you start talking to somebody and they come across as reasonable, reasoned, calm, science-based, tolerant people, that's when the alarm bells should be ringing because obviously that kind of person can't be trusted. So I obviously the councillors want to show well they want this rainbow road nonsense because they want to show that they support inclusivity now i of course have a burning need to pick on cork at the minute because every time i try and find out about the dealings of cork county council with the chinese uh, they refuse to comment to me and they kind of slow walking my fois so now anytime anything happens in the county that is in any way related to human rights i feel the need to go but what about that? Uh, what about that genocide you're sending people over to? Why? By the way, this is where this is in West Cork. This is in West Cork. Uh, West Clonakilty. Clonakilty, lovely spot. Very fond of Clonakilty. Great sausages. Yeah, home of the pudding. Um, I wouldn't have thought Clonakilty on the. F- well, they do have all those coloured. They very colourful house painting jobs you know the town is very pretty so maybe i, I would have thought that it, like when you think of sort of the great centers of gay political activity you, you, you think of maybe soho in in new york or soho indeed in london or smithfield in dublin like i kind of guilty what i find particularly fun about this is when the councillors voted to have this rainbow crossing and then engineers told them that the Department of Transport actually set standard designs for pedestrian crossings. <laughs> and therefore, you can't just have a rainbow crossing because of you know, standardization and the need to not have children mowed down by a car because it didn't realize that the rainbow was where it shouldn't be. And instead of going, OK, well, let's put up some flags instead. Yeah. They are now lobbying TDs and senators to ask the Department of Transport <laughs> to change the standards of pedestrian crossings. And they've right. written directly to the department seeking the change themselves. Now, the uh, the examiner then goes on to note that another municipal uh, area of Cork Cope is planning to uh, sever a twinning agreement with the Polish municipality of whatever, I can't pronounce it, because it's got an, an anti-LGBT stance. But again, the county itself has a twinning arrangement with China. And it has a twinning arrangement with a Chinese province that is making use of uh, labour drawn from Uyghur concentration camps. And the council, when I asked them about this, and asked them if they had any safeguards stopping... Because they do a, an official exchange program, Michael. Yeah. One of the provinces making use of this labour. Well, they, 
They had a video, didn't they? The, the, the tourist video. Yes, they got uh, with, Xi Jinping to come <laughs> court. But you have to say, you have to give them full marks. You have to give them marks for that. To get like the the premier and the leader of the the the, the Chinese Communist Party to, to front your tourist video, that's pretty good. I mean that. No, I mean, I, look, that that is a great PR group. Uh, unfortunately, if things continue on the same trend they're at. In about 15 years, that will basically be like having Hitler do it in, like, 1934. Yeah, it does strike me that just thinking of road signage and China, it's not the first time that there has been a certain... that there has... you've got this potential confusion going on regarding what road, road signs are supposed to mean. Because you'll remember, Gary, during the Cultural Revolution... It was observed by some of those enthusiastic young guards of the uh, of the Red Guard that the traffic lights were incorrectly ordered because green meant go and red meant stop, and since red was the colour of communism and of the of the party, and that the party is the party of progress and of the future, that red should mean go and green should mean stop. Now, Michael, was that the thought that occurred immediately before the thought that said they should have a war on birds? It was around the same time as the war on sparrows, I believe, yeah. How did that uh, war end, by the way, Michael? It went badly for the sparrows and badly for the Chinese, indeed. Yeah, I think in the long term, the sparrows won after the uh, you know, the tag team of the locusts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you could say it wasn't so much the, the, the sparrows won, but the locusts won, certainly. In the short term, it was a bit like I remember reading it. Now, I've never been able to confirm whether or not this is true or whether it's just one of those things, but I have been told that it was true. As you know, most countries in the world drive their motor cars on the right hand side of the road, whereas we drive, I believe, on the left hand side of the road. But that that has changed over the years. Sweden, for example, Sweden used to drive on the same side as us. The Japanese still side still drive on the same side as us. In Africa was <coughs> a mix and gatherum because, of course, of the colonial histories. You had some English colonies, you had French colonies, you had German, Spanish, Portuguese, all sorts of things. And that it was only over that at different places. Now, at some places, it's still the same. I think Uganda, they still drive on the left. But somewhere, I can't, we'll say Nigeria. I don't honestly know if it was Nigeria. That they used to drive on the, they used to drive on the left-hand side, but they decided they were going to switch over. And they decided, rather than try for a kind of a cold turkey, bang, break, midnight, we're going to change over, which would be too difficult for There would be a period of six months where people would get used to it. <laughs> Which always struck me as a, as a potent, as a potentially problematic way to organise your your the rules of the road. So where you say for the next six months, sometimes on the left, sometimes on the right, a bit like that in China. The problem was that the message about red and red and 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 and, and green didn't quite get out. So sometimes red meant stop, and sometimes red meant go. And Gary, that caused problems. As you can imagine. So I'm just wondering, that, you know, I think we should, if we're going to start changing the colours of, of, say, pedestrian crossings and things across Ireland, we need to have a certain amount of clarity about this. Otherwise, I suspect we're going to have some, what the economists would call, suboptimal outcomes. 
I mean, entirely possible, but uh, on the other hand, it'll look very pretty. Although I think you are right, and the rainbows in the short term will predominantly become red. Yeah, I think that a lot of red, <laughs> a lot of red of the rainbow there, and I think we'd like to avoid that if we can. But anyway, I like to bring it up because it amused me. And again, the Cork County Council is very happy supporting, you know, well, what is arguably a cultural genocide and bringing those people over. I did ask them if there are any safeguards to ensure that officials from Chinese provinces who have been uh, involved in human rights violation, either that be the camps directly or through the usage of forced labour, uh, to stop those coming over. Neither Cork nor the Department of Foreign Affairs will give me an answer to that one, Michael. I'm, as usual, shocked and amazed by that. I think that Cork, by the way, Cork Council are taking a perfectly reasonable and correct attitude. If I was being annoyed by you, Gary, my attitude would be saying nothing and hopefully he'll go away. Yeah, I think they learned that after they gave me the second email and I turned it into a story that said, uh, Cork says genocide merely a difference of opinions. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, what was it, that we recognise that different countries are going to have different values. Yes, yeah, that was it. And uh, that's um, perfectly reasonable observation. You twisted into some kind of an, uh, of an attack story on the poor, decent people of Cork County Council. I just think if someone says, what do you think about genocide, your answer should not be, well, some people will have different values. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm a hardliner, Michael. I just don't think government should give that answer. It's one of those old cultural problems, isn't it? I do, I do like, I love, I love seeing all this rainbow shit happening, though, because it's just like with corporations. Like, it's easy and it's safe and it's the popular view. So you do it and you get to feel like you're standing up for something. But then when it involves, let's say, China. Yeah. Like, you can do stuff to America, and America just kind of takes it, because they don't really care. But China cares. China cares, like, deeply about what people think about it. It cares deeply enough about what people think about it, that material we published in Gript has been discussed in Chinese newspapers. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't take this well. Also, I did ask some questions about parties, councillors, uh, and officials. Had they gone to any parties over in China... And, you know, had any deals been done involving property or anything of that nature and a set time frame after those parties? And it may have actually been that question more than the other question that got them to stop talking to me. You never know. That kind of thing can be a sensitive subject for Irish politicians. Yeah, yeah. Who bought those hotels? Many questions. Many, many questions. Which I asked. And you're still waiting for an answer, and you will be waiting. No, no, I've, I've told I'm not getting an answer. <laughs> I got told I wouldn't be given an answer because I put in an FOI. All right. And I was like, that's, that's not usual. Usually you don't. So I asked for their policy on FOIs. And when they would refuse a, uh, a, to give further answer a question if an FOI had been submitted, and they refused to give me that, so then I submitted an FOI on that. <laughs> Oh, God, all right. there was an old woman who swallowed a fly. They're like, I'll FOI your FOI policy if you really want this to happen. Anyway, moving along. We'll end on the Irish Heart Foundation. Let's go to so the Irish Examiner. And I think this was in the mirror as well. Gartha fear far-right violence next weekend. Because next weekend, there's another march against uh, anti-mandatory masks. Right. Now, there are a couple, two things I found interesting about this. 
One is that they quote a senior source as saying, um, and the, the fascists may be there. The fascists? Maybe at this thing next week. Good. I have, I have never talked to a senior member of the Gardaí who would throw around terms like fascist. I would be more than surprised if I was talking to a guard of a senior rank and he introduced a fascist into the conversation I would be I might be slightly impressed almost I think wow I'm also kind of, do we have fascists in Ireland I, do, I suppose we do probably I, and if we do I, I imagine that uh, they must be protected under some kind of some kind of scheme you know those things where you you, 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 if you're at the zoo or you're, they, they have a little thing in front of saying, and it gives the status, the conservation status of the animal, like, uh, it sort of, in danger or in grave danger or in danger of extinction. Now, there are sort of different levels depending. Now, on I mean, we did we did talk about the the far right now before how we basically thought like it's it's ten lads in a room basically, and a couple of people did make the point to me that. They would have liked us to discuss the Irish Freedom Party, who I don't think are fascists or even far right, and the National Party, who are, to be honest, it's been a while since I actually looked at their policy platform. I put them as nationalists, authoritarian nationalists, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Fascists, though? Uh, if you're going to push it, I'd say maybe sort of phalangist, in that sort of Spanish-Portuguese tradition. I don't. I mean, I, I, I should probably go back over their policy platforms and see I mean, where they stand on not, some things. I, not to be sort of excessively picky picky about this, but one of the one of the characteristics of fascism is anti-clericalism. So, if you're going to be a proper fascist, you should be anti-clerical, anti-church, um, and I don't think these people particularly are. Now, if you're on the other side, if you're a if you're an authoritarian, a right-wing authoritarian nationalist but pro-religion, then, you have, then you're more in the kind of the phalangist basket of people like Salazar in Portugal or Franco in Spain. But, you know, listen, maybe we're now, you would just, we're, it's, it's angels on pins and stuff, but I don't think they're properly fascist. Hey-ho. So anyway, some guard, apparently, some superintendent is worried that they're going to be fascists out next week. Then they start saying about you know, this this violence that they're bracing themselves for, this violence that the guards fear, Michael. They give an explanation of the type of violence that they um Yes that they're afraid of. And it's they say it's gonna be like one of the protests a couple of weeks ago. Now, Michael, at that protest there was one reported assault that I'm aware of. Was there not also um an attack on a on a speaker? When I say a speaker I mean a you know, a piece of equipment for the amplification of sound. No, that was a that was a different. Uh, that was a different fascist attack. Yes, that was that was that was terrible. Yes, he kicked it apparently savagely. Savagely, savagely kicked Dear it. Honor. So this is oh, this is oh yes, sorry, you're I'm, yes, uh, you're right. I remember that was a different. This was uh, this was now, if I remember rightly. Not that I condone it in any way, shape, or form, but wasn't the person being planked 
hadn't there been certain amount of provocative behavior there was a certain interaction that had happened this wasn't like for example somebody coming up behind you with a bike lock and hitting you in the back of the head well i mean michael i i wouldn't engage in that sort of victim blaming um and it's possible that because the plank was wrapped in a tricolor that she was herself provoked by it ah, of and course it's, it's provocations the entire way down one thing i will find i find quite interesting is the, the Irish examiner says that this was an anti-fascist protester and then gives their name but they don't give their actual name they give the name that they that they're commonly known by their uh-huh. street name if you will oh yes no i think what the, the what we would call that in the old days is a nom de guerre a nom de guerre gary it's their, their war name but anyway it gives that and says that they're going on there but that's that's a single assault over an entire day of a protest. If anything, I would think that's less violent than the guards' usual weekday. Well, I think there's more than one or two chippers in Dublin, and not just in Dublin, that would see more violence than that on a Saturday night. Although, would they these days? That's COVID. Less violence in the world because of COVID. Hmm. Maybe that's why the guards are fearful. Less outdoor violence, anyway. I just It struck me as a very odd article. Just... It doesn't sound like a senior source or a senior guard, what they would say. And the level of violence they're talking about fearing is, I'm not going to say inconsequential, because obviously you should not assault a woman with a flag wrapped in a tricolour. But at the same time, it's not a war. It's not, no, it's not exactly, the, it's not, or it's not Paris in 1789. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of one of a it's a kind of a one of a whole of a piece, isn't it? It's not just in Ireland. You saw it there recently a homeland security briefing which supposedly says that the threat uh, to peace and stability in the United States is coming from violent the violent far right rather than anywhere else. And yet, at the same time, it's very hard to see where all this violence is coming from. I mean, at, at an organised level, that's not to say that there are not. Uh, individuals on the far right in Ireland perhaps but certainly in the United States who have been responsible for gross acts of terrorism and violence I mean, most famously Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma bombing I don't know Gary did you see there was an interesting piece done by a photojournalist who went underground it was reported by Reuters and I think it was then in either the Washington Post or the, I said, no it was the New York Times he had decided to go undercover in some of the places in the states that have been rioting and he had noticed um, after the initial uh, disturbances these white guys arriving dressed in black and engaging in looting taking shoes from sports shops in the first days stuff like that and he became he became convinced that what was actually happening was these were uh, people from the far right who were going in and using these incidents in order to, to discredit uh, to, and to undermine the legitimacy of the protests that were happening. So he decided to embed himself and then to, to his shock and horror, as he discovered in that city and then the other cities he went to, that in fact these were what the, the groups, which they call, they call themselves insurrectionary anarchist groups. And they were using all this as a Explicitly, as part of their plan to undermine the, uh, I suppose, undermine the 
the state structures of the democracy in the United States. But that and this and this was widespread and it was well supported. And it again, it it displayed the problem that we we've we talked about when we talked about this before. That it's true in Ireland, it's true in the United States, and all over the world. That again and again. People who are on, shall we, what is called the, the moderate left or the left left, are incredibly reluctant to to come out and to disavow, condemn, or or separate themselves from this part of the left. In the way that people on the right are not in the right, people know very well where the lines are drawn, and if you start to use certain kinds of language or talk in a certain kind of way the conservatives will say no not acceptable you are excommunicate you are beyond the bounds you are outside the pale we don't want anything to do with you and simply for that reason if nothing no others it seems to me that it's very hard to construct this argument that the real threat is coming from the right when those people who who are explicitly and deliberately engaged in an attack on what they would call bourgeois democracy and bourgeois liberal democratic values are in the left and that the left and are ex accepted and given succor by those members of the left who are actually in power. They are at some sense part of the access of the left which is in government or going to be in government. They are not excommunicate, they are not, they are not excluded. And they are very often very, very good at getting into those structures on the on the moderate left or the the shall we say the political left. And like those burrowing beetles, they get in, they lay their eggs, and they take them over. So I'm I'm I am sceptical, deeply sceptical this notion that there is some terrible threat from the right. No, I mean if every time someone said something possibly damaging about grift or possibly aggressive or violent and we wrote an article saying oh the far left is on the rise I mean, we could do it we just wouldn't have any actual validity and then people start reading them and they just totally lose sense of uh, the reality of it having said that i mean you know you could get some some of the left groups are actually fairly violent they just tend to also be about ten men in a room talking about the old glory days. Well, here. Oh, well, well, yeah, you did again, Gary. And occasionally they shoot a journalist, but like... Occasionally they shoot a journalist, and that's at the moment. I grew up in a country oh, no. where... I was a lot less threatening before I got into journalism. Yeah. You know, I, I was born in 1969, which is the same year the trouble start, And I... The, Whatever about the, obviously the, there were historical nationalist republican elements to it, but there was a very explicit revolutionary leftist ideology which was, which shaped the the aims and the and and the language of those groups in Northern Ireland, which just which they used to justify their violence, and it was the justification of violence which was used all over the world, which shaping which saw nationalism, this kind of nationalism, which is normally seen as a very bad thing by orthodox Marxists, but that this uh, that this nationalism is actually a manifestation of an anti-imperialist, anti-colonial revolutionary disposition. And that was what they used to justify the violence, not just against soldiers and policemen or 
operators of the state, but against, shall we say, and I, I use the phrase not in my language, but in their language, non-combatants. And non-combatants included children in prams and things, but uh, anyway, there you go. So it's, it, I, I wouldn't completely underest, uh, underestimate the importance of men on the left in Ireland getting into small groups in rooms and discussing what they're going to do because in the past that has happened and when it has happened some very bad things have happened hmm. but there is I mean as I know we talked about this before at any protest there are nutters they can be from the left they can be from the right they can be from the religious they can be from the secular they can be anything but is it it is a choice to focus on those people and to then say the water protests, let's say. There were people who would have been there from Connolly Youth Movement, from the various communist groups, from the far-left groups. But no one made the choice to say that these are examples of far-left violence, or these are examples of far-left protests. Yeah, and, and far-left protests that, are, that represent some kind of threat to the fabric of the nation. No, I mean, if you have thousands of people at an anti-mandatory mask uh, event, there are not that many people in Ireland, who are linked to these groups that you would put on the far right, or that most people would put on the far right. But it's then a question of, well, do people choose to look at that group and say, this is a far right event? And that's a political choice that media makes. I'm not saying it's always incorrect, just it is a deliberate construction. Also, listen, you and I know quite a number of people that might have been at these anti-mask things and I say no, I mean, then we know them tangentially, we know of them. And these are, these are very heterogeneous groups of people. They in no way can be, do they represent any kind of a single political ideological outlook. They're vastly disparate and various. Some of them are secular, some of them are, are religious, some of them are what you might call conservative. Some of them, I would say, if you talk about their economics, they're on the left, maybe quite a, a bit on the left. Some of them might be social democrats. Some of them might be distributionists. Yeah, I mean, they're still going to get called right-wingers and fascists because the media class, and actually a lot of people in Ireland, have no ability to distinguish um, any sort of... like economically left but socially conservative group they don't understand that concept at all also really what 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 binds the these people it seems to me isn't an ideological or philosophical idea but rather these people are a manifestation of what is perhaps a wider phenomenon but maybe not quite as it hasn't reached the point of anxiety, yes, with them, but of a, of a dis, just a general disaffection and a, a breakdown in trust between people and the institutions and uh, uh, the institutions of the state and and the polit and politicians, and I think this goes back to a whole series of things. I think it goes back may in in a large way to the crash and to the troika coming in and to the the way the banks behaved and the way the banks were dealt with and the bondholders and all of that. I think for a lot of people that that moment, that experience, people who lost businesses, who lost homes, they lost 
their um, their livelihoods. Uh, also, a lot of people just lost faith in structures and institutions. And I don't think that this has been manifested in any kind of particular direction politically, uh, but it's rather a manifestation of a of a lack of trust, uh, which is really unfortunate, and particularly at a time like now when you really have to rely on the fact that if you are the government and you're coming out and you're going to say, you're going to tell people, this is the situation now, this is how we're going to manage it, and this is what we think is the best. Uh, if people don't trust you, especially when, Gary, listen, let's face it, and this is something we've been commenting on fairly regularly, is the advice and that's coming out of officialdom lacks any kind of consistency. What's true one day it becomes false the next day and what's false becomes true. It's very hard for some people to take, you know, to take, I mean, and masks are, if you like, an easy point, an easy one to take up on that. I, we have been, shall we say, it's a ridiculous thing to say, isn't it? But we have been pro-mask for some time. And I have people say to me as an argument, oh, but we were told back in February and in March, we were told by the government that masks weren't effective and masks weren't useful and masks could actually create a false sense of security and masks could be a vector for infection and people wouldn't use masks properly and masks were bad. So how can it be that was that was it then and now we're supposed to believe the masks? You know, I would say, well, they were just wrong before and they were wrong for maybe different reasons. Maybe some of those reasons were less honest than they should have been. That perhaps the real reason was they didn't have enough masks. So they, instead of saying, we don't have enough masks, we're worried about masks running out and the people who really need them not getting them. So we're going to say, don't use masks. But now they flipped and we have become, the masks have become this totemic thing. That if you don't wear a mask all the time, somehow you are being, you're acting like a traitor to the nation and to the health of my granny. Obviously there is there isn't a debate about the appropriate level of COVID restrictions and that seems to have been left to people who would legitimately go with anything. Anything. The, the zero COVID people that just totally stamp it down, shut down everything for however long it takes and if that bankrupts the country, well so be it. But one death is too many. And on the other hand, people who say it isn't real or if it is real, it's a plan by world governments to take control. <clears throat> and I just think we'd be better if on both sides people moved a little bit closer to, you know, there is an issue. How serious is it? Let's look at this. And let's, let's say, let's do what we can do. Let's recognise that this is maybe imperfect. This is an imperfect response, but this, there's, a, there's a reasonable chance it might help. So let's try it. Let's do it. Um, do what we can to, and also be responsible for ourselves. Michael, talking about uh, reasonable solutions that may be imperfect. Yes. The Irish Heart Foundation. The Irish Heart Foundation have... I want, They have a thing about vaping. They have a thing about vaping and e-cigarettes that I would say is outside the bounds of evidence and possibly human decency, Michael. Okay, human decency? I mean, they're effectively the equivalent of Victorian gentlemen putting 
Yeah, there's like clothing things around table legs. That's <laughs> the, 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 the story we used to like, I don't know if it was ever true, that uh, they used to put little trousers on table legs and piano legs because otherwise it would be indecent. I suspect it was a way of protecting the legs from the attacks of dogs or cats. But anyway, yes, I, I take your... Well, listen, I mean, Michael, we're talking about the Irish Heart Foundation, so it's only right we not let the truth get in the way of a good story. No, to be fair, the Irish Heart Foundation is not the only institution in Ireland which seems to have taken a position uh, on vaping and set their faces against it in a way which is very significantly at variance to similar groups in other uh, similar jurisdictions to our own, for example, the United Kingdom. Yeah, I mean the the cancer um, society is also up there. But why why were this is old news? Why are we talking about it now? Because the Irish Heart Foundation has put in a pre budget submission in which they are talking about steps that you can take to stop uh, youth and non smoker e cigarette use, and it is just it's it's wonderful. So let's walk through it, shall we? Okay. So what they basically want is they want a excise tax regime on e-cigarettes they but they want a tax that's at a level that prices these devices out of the purchasing reach of children and adolescents but remains affordable for adults who are using them for smoking cessation devices right which by the way as a smoking cessation device vaping is way more effective than any of the other approaches that are recommended by the hse but let's put that to the side so they want to increase the price um, by about, it looks like at least 10% uh, and up to 25% based on what they're suggesting. And it takes a little bit of math to work it out. And they say that that would um, stop children from using it. Do you know what they don't suggest, Michael? What's that? They don't suggest making it illegal to sell them to children. Hold on. They don't suggest making it illegal to sell vaping oils to children no no so they don't suggest the thing that would target children who are again the group that they're doing this for but they suggest making it more expensive for everyone which is going to produce exactly the effect they say they don't want right and interestingly enough that 10 percent level we actually have a little bit of research of this, and the New Nicotine Alliance of Ireland has come out with a statement on this. I'll link it in the bottom. But they link to some research, and that says that um, if you increase the uh, price of e-cigarettes by about 10%, then you push down the sale of e-cigarettes by about 8.2%. Okay. And you push up cigarette sales... By about eleven percent. Now you see, Gary, you'll have to help me out here because I would have thought that that's not the outcome you were looking for. That more smoking of fags and less smoking of vaping. I thought that we wanted the other way around. I thought we wanted f fewer tobacco smokers because tobacco is very, very, very bad for you. Yeah, I mean, you would think that. Every time I read a piece from the Irish Heart Foundation or the Irish Cancer Society on vaping, do you know what the question that comes to my mind is, Michael? Well, what's that? Well, there's two questions. One is, are they going to quote that piece of shit research they did on children and vaping? 
And the second is, I wonder how much money these organizations accept every year from the pharmaceutical sector. The people who make uh, nicotine substitutes. Who make smoking cessation products, which is actually a multi-billion dollar industry, Michael. I don't know if you knew that. I'm, I'm not surprised. So, I'm just curious if they do, because if they do, well, there could be a conflict of interest there if vaping is incredibly cheap and largely outside the control of any one company. They, they say the sector is primarily owned by tobacco companies, but I don't think that's true in Ireland. I think in Ireland it's primarily ran by um, smaller entities. But uh, on the do they use the terrible piece of research they did in which they got 16 children together and asked them leading uh, questions in order to produce a particular result. No, they don't use that research. Although I would remind people that that research was considered to be of high enough quality that it was covered in most of the national newspapers of this country. And Simon Harris said it had convinced him of the need to do more to stop the sale of e-cigarettes to children. And which by itself convinced me that Simon Harris is as thick as a, as a sock of mud. It was actually the study that convinced me that the Irish Hair Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society don't care about the evidence. Because if you, if you care about the evidence, you, you can, doctors have absolutely come up and said, we don't support vaping for these reasons, or we think that there are issues with it. And that is absolutely legitimate. But at the time when you are producing research that is 16 people cannot be statistically significant, and when you went through the actual design of it, it was clearly designed to give that result. When I saw it, I was shocked that Red Sea were willing to let the um, to let these groups put their name on it because it was a joint project of the Irish Heart Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society. And it wasn't an issue with money. These are groups that have massive budgets. Now, I'm told that Red Sea were actually quite unhappy about that afterwards and that uh, a lot of the provisos and stipulations about how this couldn't be taken as a significant study but was intended purely as preliminary work to inform future work were stripped out of the report. Now, I just want to just to, to put in here just in the, on, on the sub just to uh, this, the the issue of endorsements and, and not to make the point that if you actually if we go across the water and we look at the British Heart Foundation or Cancer Research UK which is one of the largest uh, charities in the United Kingdom and actually engages in significant genuine uh, research on cancer if you look at Public Health UK which is the government body for uh, for uh, health getting better health outcomes for the, the United Kingdom's population. And indeed, a group like Forrest, which is uh, the longest established and best known anti-smoking lobby in the United Kingdom and across the world. All of these groups strongly endorse vaping as a smoking cessation tool. Now, and we have talked about this before, and both you and I are involved in the Edinburgh Institute, which has talked about this and the usefulness of this. So we should, I suppose, declare an interest there. And make it and also make it explicit that we're not nobody is saying if you if you don't vape start vaping that would be a bad idea if you don't vape and you don't smoke don't vape and don't smoke don't start either of them however cancer uk british heart foundation forest 
Public Health UK all are saying if you do smoke and you have tried failed and you want to give up vaping is a useful uh, success also successful and much much less dangerous tool to use as a smoking cessation tool Michael that's interesting you say that so these people say that they want six cent per milliliter um, on vaping liquid. They also say that's an initial rate and then point out that Finland and Portugal have applied a 30 cents per milliliter tax. Uh-huh. But here's the interesting thing, Michael. To support smokers to quit, we are also calling for all revenue raised from this tax to be ring-fenced and allocated to smoking cessation services. Now, in the studies that I've seen, Gary, and maybe the studies were flawed, and maybe you have... You can give me more info on this. Of those who, when we look at people who have successfully given up smoking, 50% of those who successfully given had given up purely willpower. 40% had used vaping to successfully give up. That if you compare the success rates of people using vaping as opposed to using other nicotine substitution cessation tools, that when you look at the recidivism levels that vaping is much more successful much more effective than any of the other uh, cessation tools on the market today so if the if this money is going to be reinvested for smoking cessation well why isn't vaping part of that solution why isn't it being included in that largely because the hse keeps saying it needs more research and it's being constantly lobbied by the Irish Heart Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society not to uh, not to move in any positive direction on vaping. And yes, you're right, Michael. The, the research I've seen, the numbers obviously move depending on, on what you're looking at. But it looks like vaping is about twice as effective as other smoking cessation tools if you want to quit smoking. And that seems to me that that's a conservative end of the numbers. Well, that's, that's what the, the studies say. When we actually look at the real-world data um, and we look at how many people are using it to quit, it would appear to be substantially above that. But I think the, the studies we have, they, while they may be conservative, they're also fairly well backed up, so they're just a safer number on it. So, interestingly enough, yes, they are saying that we should tax the most effective smoking cessation tool we have, about twice as effective as other smoking cessation tools, uh, driving down the usage of that smoking cessation tool, driving up the use of tobacco, and then we should take that money that caused that and give it to smoking cessation tools, which we know are about half as effective at best as the thing we just taxed. So I not really... Not kind of putting this together very well myself, Michael. Also, here's they do. Um, they say that evidence from North Carolina, yeah, and that for every ten percent increase in e-cigarette price, there may be a zero point eight percent to nine point one percent decrease in the youth use rate. Now, Michael, if you're only looking at one state or one province or one county or one region, and your um, your variance is large enough to take up nearly 10% of all available numbers? Well, particularly when the numbers go from basically zero to 10%. Yeah. It's, 
which means at at one level, with if you're if if it was if you're talking margin of error, it could be that there's actually an increase on one end, but that's just nonsense. Uh, no, so this uh, and then I love this. I it just it really just shows where their heads are at. That's a, this is the last line of the section. Finally, the COVID nineteen pandemic has reinforced the need to prevent all age groups from taking up and using e-cigarettes or traditional tobacco, as the use of both is an act of touching hand-to-mouth and therefore increases the possibility of transmission, Michael. Yeah. So... And this is what I was talking about earlier. This is uh, something happens and you want a result. So you're like, uh, you shouldn't vape because um, COVID-19. Now, I, I would ask this this point. It's a hand-to-mouth movement, Yes. Yeah. But are you sharing your cigarette or your vape pen with other people? Are you like smearing it around their face before you use it? I don't maybe there are maybe there are vaping bars in Dublin or somewhere. You know, like you know those hookah bars, hubba bubba bars. Although you tend to not share those. I mean is it is the concern that the Vapors are like heroin addicts, so they're sharing needles. I, I, uh, if if you if you want to get rid of, that's just so stupid. Uh, hand to mouth. Okay, for a start, if you're talking about other nicotine replacement as uh, technique technologies which are smoking cessation aids, there are some which will involve mimicking cigarettes, which are hand to mouth. There are some which are sprays which involve bringing up which hand to mouth. I would point out that if it comes to that, eating food with a knife and fork involves hand to mouth. Tea cups and glasses with fluids in them that you bring up. These are hand to mouth. I mean, for God's sake. I do I do also like the 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 need to prevent all age groups from taking up and using e cigarettes or traditional tobacco. That that's what these people believe, but I would make the point there that if you are using tobacco, you, you should absolutely switch to e-cigarettes. The, the health benefits, by all the research we have, are exceptional. It's not perfectly safe. No, it's not. I'm not saying it is, but the relative safety of it compared to what you were doing is enormous, life-changing, massively decreases your chance of dying. So lumping them together is, is very much the Irish Hair Foundation. Um... But I, I think it's nonsensical. But I, I would really love to know what happened uh, about any potential links with the pharmaceutical industry. Never been able to find out anything. Because what there was Ash Ireland, the anti-smoking crowd. Mm. And I think they were funded nearly 100% by Pfizer. Oh, really? Possibly 100%. And then they were folded back into, I think, either the Irish Heart Foundation or the Irish Cancer Society. I'm not sure which one. I think the Irish Cancer Society. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as I said, vaping, Michael, could devastate the entire smoking cessation tool sector because it's not only is it cheaper than the other things, but it's more effective and it's outside of their control. This wasn't something created by an NGO. This was just someone putzing around in a garage in China. Yeah, exactly. It was like somebody in a shed in China, wasn't it? To say, to, let's see if Almost we could... Almost like market innovation, Michael. Yeah. Wow. Improve lives. Somebody thought, you know what? Is there a way we can get the nicotine out without all the other stuff? 
And they fiddled around in their shed and they found a way to do it. They're becoming safer over time as well. And eventually we might get to a stage where you can just smoke nicotine with barely any health effects. Because nicotine itself is no more harmful to the human body than caffeine. And once they have that, well... Well, of course, caffeine... You're you're not you're you're being you're making the assumption that they're not going to come for caffeine fairly soon. I, don't I mean, know. I've already heard people saying they should. I did see. I I can't remember who 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 said it to me, but there there is a line of safety where you're just like it's just not worth it, and we don't care. I'm not saying this is the area, but you just you, you the nicotine thing reminded me of it, and I was like, people fall down in the streets often and are injured, and some die. I mean, we could stop those deaths if we walked around constantly wearing bike helmets when we were outside. But we don't, because it's not worth it. Yeah, you can't nerf the world. You could, if We could get rid of pretty well all fatalities in car accidents if cars were limited to travelling at five kilometres per hour. We could do what they did when they first brought out cars and require, as a, require a man with a lamp to stand in front of them constantly. And create employment. But I'm not sure if the I'm not sure if that's an outcome that most people would be happy with, and they might even find that they wouldn't spend the very large amounts on your new car because you won't be able to get a second-hand car shortly, and you'll be buying a much more expensive electric car rather than your diesel version. So uh, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be willing to shell out thirty grand on something that went basically as fast as themselves. This could be the return of the. The horse and trap. But are we allowed to use horses like that anymore? I don't know. And of course, horses will be will produce uh, greenhouse gases. Living, living produces greenhouse gases, Michael. Uh, what well, dying does too? Yeah, that's why I always. Anytime I see a green politician with a child, I just think they failed. <laughs> yeah, then again, you don't often see it either. Now, I'm not saying they should go home and smother that child with a pillow. But, I mean, sometimes you have to accept your failures and move on. But, like, it's a failure. Yeah, and that's that's the quote, I think, if anybody wants to take this podcast out and run it around. It is nowhere near the worst thing I've said. Gary Kavanagh, Gary Kavanagh, Gary says, uh, don't smother your, green politicians should not smother their children with a pillow. But they are mistakes. Uh, I think you need to get that last part in, or it just sounds like I'm giving good advice. <laughs> just general safety, health and safety advice. Don't smother your children. You'd think it's common sense, but maybe it's not. <laughs> you think you should have known, but then again, you know, if I hadn't told you, you wouldn't have known. Someone's standing over the body of the child as the tweak comes in, just seconds too late. What a tragedy. Yeah, I think this is getting a little bit too dark, even even for a, even for a Wednesday. So I think that uh, maybe on Wednesday, a notoriously dark day, <laughs> Woden's day, isn't it? Well, I know there was a, there was a, a rhyme that used to be very popular when I was a child, which ascribed to the the characteristics that each child would have depending on the day that they were born. And I remember that Wednesday's child is full of woe. Thursday's child has far to go. Friday's child is loving and giving, and Saturday's child is loving and giving. No, works hard for a living. So you're but, saying that we've worked out there are fundamentally seven different types of people. 
seven different types of people and it's all it all depends on what day of the week you were born it's all scientific it's all very scientific indeed um sorry before we go because i promised i would I, to myself if nobody else there was an interview given this week uh on uh, one of the arabian uh tv channels it was an interview given and it's reported in Ara al arabia with prince band prince bandar bin sultan who has been uh, talking on the uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict. I don't know if you saw this. Was this the Hitler one? It's jo it is, you know, it, I I I've never met Prince Bandar bin Sultan, but I I I I kind of want to. I'm sure as a, as a devout and observant Muslim, he doesn't drink. But if he hadn't been born, I think that he would have been a, the kind of man you really enjoy having a pint with. He has a. A quirky but forthright way of expressing himself, <laughs> you know, which is uh, yeah, it was it was pretty forthright. Uh, there's there are quotes given here. The Palestinian news anchor says Palestinian leadership announces its rejection and condemnation of the surprising American-Israeli Emirati Emirati, Emirati declaration. Uh, the Palestinian official announces oh, is also quoted as a, a poison stab in the back of the Palestinian people. And so it goes on. And I just want to give you a couple of quotes here, um, which I, I, I really enjoyed. He starts off by saying that he was, what he, the level of, lo the low level of discourse is not what we expect from officials who seek to gain global support for their cause. The transgression against Gulf states leadership with this reprehensible discourse is entirely unacceptable. And he, he goes on, he says, this is, he, he makes the point, you know, the Palestinians have, have not always been their, their own best friends, you know. The, uh, that in the past, they have not always chosen uh, their friends uh, most carefully. If I can find the, said, the Palestinian cause is a just cause, but its advocates are failures. And the, he, he said, there is also something that suggests successive Palestinian leadership historically share in common. They always bet on the losing side, and that comes at a price. Amin al-Husseini in the 1930s was betting on the Nazis in Germany, and we all know what happened to Hitler in Germany. He was recognised by Germany, Hitler and the Nazis for standing with them against the Allies when Berlin's radio station broadcast recordings by him in Arabic, but that was all he got which was no good as far as the Palestinian cause was concerned. <laughs> Moving forward in time, no one, especially in the Gulf states, can forget the image of Abu Amar, Yasser Arafat, as he's also known, as he visited Saddam Hussein after the, Ar the occupation of, of Kuwait, an Arab people occupied, and Kuwait, beside the other Gulf states, had always welcomed them. So, uh, months later, as another example of failure in choosing sides, the battle for the liberation of Kuwait begins. Saddam strikes the capital of Saudi Arabia with his missiles. I just, I think there's something refreshing about a man who, the Palestinians are going through all the, the usual histrionics that they go through when anything happens like this. And he says, well, you know what, lads? You haven't been really your own best friends, have you? You know, if you look in the past, you've got... 
that whole thing with Hitler, that really didn't work out well, did it? That the way he says it, and we all know what happened to the Nazis in Germany. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, the, the Saudis have said that they won't get on board with any sort of peace deal until the Palestinian issue is is settled. Uh, but they, I think this is a, a pretty clear remark to the Palestinians that, you know, get your shit together. But uh, yeah, it is kind of hard to come back from the, you know, well, the Palestinians also supported Hitler, didn't they? So <laughs> maybe they need to get better at this. He also he makes the point that the Egyptian, our dear neighbour, I love, and the language is fabulous, our dear neighbour, Egypt and the Egyptian leaders from Hosni Borak, Hosni Mubarak, may God rest his soul, to his excellently President Sisi, have held conference after conference to reconcile the West Bank and Gaza and the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. Well, how can this be? How can we speak in the name of all Palestine and convince others to support our cause when we ourselves are not united and the Palestinians are divided against themselves? It's a, it's, it's a frank, uh, shall we say, a frank exchange of views, and uh, which I'm sure will not get any kind of traction in the, the press here at all. No, God, no, no. <laughs> the... Uh, but it's it's worth reading. No, he, he he does what he should do. He he stands up for the Palestinians. He's talk, he talks. He's not very nice about Israel uh, or the Jewish state. He talks about the UN. He says all this stuff. But it, when you start to part, when you start to pick it apart, uh, if I was put it this way, if I was a Palestinian and I was looking for to continued substantial support from the Saudis with the rest of the country, the rest of the Arab nations in, in the Gulf, I would, I would, I would not be that sanguine. I would, I'm very, I would be putting my finger in the air with the suspicion that maybe the wind has changed direction. Of course, the American election is are on, upon us and the great architect of peace, uh, Donald Trump, three times nominated for a Nobel Prize, uh, may lose his may lose the election, and so it may all fall apart yet. But we shall see. God, wouldn't that be just fantastic if Donald Trump loses his uh, loses the election and the Middle East descends into chaos again? Well, not that we hope that, but it would be it would show say it would be ironic, uh, particularly when uh, Obama, who launched God knows. Lawrence uh, Turkle was involved in uh, God knows how many wars and drone attacks and attacks on the American uh, citizens uh, illegally uh, win, wins the Nobel Prize and does nothing and Trump actually does something doesn't win the Nobel Prize and loses the election but that's democracy for you and on that hopeful note I suppose we should wrap up and Wish people a good week in I level three. I think I prefer the conversation about the dead children. <laughs> and as the, there's, I think was this uh, Horace or somebody like him said, "De gustibus non disputandum est." You can't account for taste. Anyway, we will be back on Friday, but until then, mind yourselves and enjoy life, even at level three. All the best. <laughs>